I'm so glad I'm able to join you today through technology. Linda and I are on a break in New Zealand, so pray for us, maybe pray for them. But I'm excited to launch a brand new series entitled, This Is Us. And it's a conversation about some core values, biblical values that we have as a church. The world that we live in is becoming more and more fast-paced. We're busier than ever. And there's so much noise and distraction and things pulling at getting our attention. And we end up with kind of restless souls, this kind of constant anxiety, constant fatigue on the inside. I'm not talking about a holiday like we're having, but I'm talking about fatigue. And we are people who've actually got out, a, out of a rhythm of grace. And we long for something deeper, something more meaningful. And we find that in Jesus. I want to read a passage that you're probably familiar with. And I'm reading it from the message just because of the way Eugene Peterson connected these words so powerfully. It's Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. Jesus says, are you tired? Are you worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I love that thought. Get away with me and you will recover your life. I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If we're honest, there's a lot of things that are ill-fitting. And I'm not just talking about clothes when you've eaten too much. I'm talking about the whole thing of values being torn and stretched and rearranged in that society. And just go, where do I fit in all of this? And that's where we need to come back to godly biblical values. In a sense, values serve two things. One, they are foundational to our life, but in another way, they are also guardrails. And let me just speak briefly to that. There are foundational biblical values that help us become more like Jesus and therefore live effectively, productively, and fruitfully in life advancing God's kingdom. It'll also mean, as we just read from the passage, we'll live a healthier, more balanced, and definitely more productive life. Jesus told a very simple parable about the wise man who built his house on the rock and the foolish who built on the foundation of sand things that could be washed away. I want to read just part of that teaching of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7, verse 24 and following. He says, Everyone who hears my words and puts them into practice, hears my words, puts them into practice, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fail because its foundation was on the rock. You'll notice something that just because you're in the kingdom and a follower of Jesus and you are listening to his words and looking to put them into practice, it doesn't mean you're exempt from the storms of life. The storms came to both the wise and the foolish. 
And we are often overcome by storms, but we come out of it because we have built on foundational biblical values. Bible values also serve kind of as guardrails. And all of us are familiar with this when you drive along a road and there's some dangerous things, either a sheer drop on one side or river or something, they'll put a guardrail up. And if you bump into it, you'll damage your car, but it's far less damage than if you had no guardrail and you went over the edge into the river or down into the ravine. And I remember when we went to Queenstown in New Zealand, there are two uh, ski resorts, not that I ski, don't need any broken bones, but one that is well-built uh, road with guardrails the whole way up, and it's very steep and winds and all the rest of it, and it's incredible, and you feel quite safe driving both up and down. The other one is the Remarkables, which is not as developed as a ski resort, and it's just a dirt road with no guardrails. And I can remember driving up there just feeling so uneasy when we were driving up with the sheer drop where, on the side of the road there, as against where there were guardrails. Just gave you a sense of protection and an added sense of direction and guidance. We need guardrails in our lives. And yeah, we may bump into them. We may not get everything right perfectly. But if we have those values, both foundational and as guardrails, our lives are going to be better directed. And we're always anxious. Will I lose my freedoms? Well, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. It is true that our freedom, and he's speaking about freedom in Christ, allows us to do anything. But it doesn't mean that everything we do is good for us. I'm free to do as I choose, but I choose never to be enslaved to anything. And so he's talking about, actually, you've got freedom in Christ. But if you anchor yourself in the person of Jesus Christ and his teachings, then you'll kind of put up some guardrails from, to stop you from going off the edge. So I'm introducing two of the guardrails, two of the foundational values that we're going to be going through over the next few weeks. And the first is, this is us, we are Christ-centered. This is us, we are Christ-centered. And there's a question that really behind it we're asking. Am I putting Jesus first in all that I am and all that I do? Am I putting Jesus first in all that I am and all that I do? It's a great question. Are you putting Jesus first in all that you are, in all that you do? Paul in Colossians talks about the preeminence of Christ. And he says Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme after all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. He is first in everything. And so the question again, does Jesus Christ have first place in your heart, in your life, in your worship, in your family, in your relationships, in the way you manage or use time, in your work situation? Are you looking to put Jesus first? Now, just a quick thing here. 
please don't make this hierarchical. And what I mean by that is Jesus first, my marriage second, if you're married, my kids third, my workplace fourth, and then you're trying to juggle it. Now, a better way of looking at it is while I'm at work, am I looking to put Jesus first? In my marriage, am I conducting myself in such a way that I'm putting Jesus first? In my relationship with God, am I prioritizing that? Again, just looking at a different translation of Colossians 1 verse 18. It says, he himself will come to have first place in everything. So, are you putting Jesus first? But Christianity is far more than just holding on to some right beliefs or even adopting good behaviors. It's actually about a relationship. And if you're going to put Jesus first, you've got to have a relationship. And so whether you're here in the auditorium, watching online, the question is, do you have a relationship? And if you do... How's that relationship with Jesus going? You see, it's about a relationship. The Bible talks about abiding in Christ. Some more modern translations talk about remaining in Christ. And it's good. But I like that word abiding in Christ. And I want to read something out of John's gospel. It's a Jesus speaking. John 15, verse 4 to 5. Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. That verse is so rich. And I think we all get the illustration that Jesus is giving of us being the branches, he's the vine, and that we need to be connected to him, the life source, in order to produce fruit, to be productive. And he stresses that if you don't do this, you actually can do nothing. And maybe there in some of our exhaustion, running around trying to do things in our own strength, not learning to do it out of a flowing relationship of abiding in Christ. J.C. Riley, a great scholar and bishop, said this, to abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him, and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. Let me just read that to you again. I know it's up on the screen, but listen to this, whether you're here in the auditorium watching online. To abide in Christ means to keep up a habit of constant close communion with him, to be always leaning on him, Resting on him, pouring out our hearts to him and using him as our fountain of life and strength, as our chief companion and best friend. And again, I remind you, Jesus said categorically, without me, if you're not abiding in me, you're not going to be able to do anything. 
You'll wear yourself out abiding in Christ. Get in that close relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And no amount of ingenious planning, no number of great activities, or even spiritual events can produce fruit. What produces fruit in your life is abiding in Christ. And the fruit flows and grows. I think sometimes... If we're honest, we have a lot of imitation fruit. We found a tree, it's got no fruit on it. Find some good plastic fruit, hang it on and pretend, look at this, look at this. But we know it's fake and we sometimes feel that fakeness in our own life when we're trying to pretend to be something that we're not. And Jesus says, come on, come back to the basics. Spend some time with me. Get your focus off the things and onto me. And then your planning and your activities will begin to bear fruit. I know most of us right at this point are feeling like we've just failed. Because we think back, it's just yesterday, past week, past month, last year. We've been rushing here doing this and we sometimes just forget about Jesus, let alone abiding in him in the busyness and the frantic pressure of our lives. But Jesus, when he's talking about abiding in him, also tells us to abide in two other things. One, the word, and we're going to come to that in a moment. But the other thing is, abide in my love. John fifteen nine, As the Father has loved me, so also I have loved you. Abide in my love. I want you to hear those words. He says, abide in my love. The love that Jesus has for us will never fade or diminish. It's that agape love or agape. You can have an argument with somebody about how best to pronounce it. But that agape love, that love that God has for us, that is demonstrated through Jesus Christ towards us, is unconditional and never changing. It doesn't have strings attached to it. It doesn't have prerequisites. It doesn't have a check daily checklist. Did you do this? Oh, you didn't do that? I'm not going to love you today. It, no matter what we've done or haven't done, good, bad, or ugly, Jesus says, abide in my love. And so I want to speak there as an encouragement, not to go, well, I haven't been abiding in Christ. I must be a terrible person, or I haven't done it enough. No. Abide in his love and you'll be drawn closer to him. He'll become more beautiful, more wonderful to you as you abide in his love. And so I want to speak over all of us today. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are accepted in the beloved. And the favor and the blessing of God rests on us. And I want you to catch it here sitting in the auditorium, watching online. You are loved, you are forgiven, you are accepted, and the favor and the blessing of God rests upon you, not because of your performance, but because of Jesus in Christ. So we want to be Christ-centered in everything we do. But we are also biblically oriented. It's one of the great foundations of our faith. The authority and the power of God's word in our life. And so the question we want to be asking every time we face a situation in church life, in our relationships, in work, in planning for our future, in anything that we're doing is, 
What does God say about this? What does God's word say about this situation? And you grow in that as you become more familiar with the word of God. I love what the Apostle Paul says about God's word in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. He says, all scripture, not just some, all scripture is inspired by God, literally breathed by God. It carries the breath of God. The breath of God shaped it and inspired men and women to write the scriptures. All scripture is inspired by God. And he's useful to teach us what is true. To make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Again, to be fruitful. So abiding in Christ helps us be fruitful. But abiding in his word is also what produces fruit and effectiveness in our life. Our goal as believers, is to grow in in understanding and in obedience. Remember Jesus said, you hear my words and you do them. You hear and you do. And, And there's often a delay in some of that. There's a challenge. We argue about it sometimes with God. Not that you'll ever win that argument. And we seek to put God's word as the highest authority in our lives for faith and for our lifestyle. See, the scriptures are true and trustworthy. All scripture is God-breathed. And accepting the inspiration of God's word, of the scripture, is such an important truth. And that's why the devil attacks it. He did it way back in the beginning. In the book of Genesis, which literally means the book of beginnings, where it talks about the origins of mankind and how this planet and this universe came to be like it is. And when God had created Man and woman in Adam and Eve in his image and placed them in the garden in this place of great fruitfulness. The enemy came along and the first thing he did was to attack God's word. He said, did God really say? I mean, come on, you're going to believe that? Let me show you another way of getting that. Did God really say? And that attack has continued down through the millennia and has just kind of ramped up in a whole new way, I think, in our society today. And I think it's an extraordinary challenge to say, am I going to accept the authority of God's word? Believe that it's inspired. And when I come to God with an open heart, seeking answers for life and for living, seeking to build a foundation that I can build a great life on, that I'm willing to hear his voice out of his word. Because the scripture comes from God, it is therefore true. And because it's true, it is therefore profitable. I want you to catch that. Because scripture comes from God, God breathed, it is therefore true. And because it's true, it is profitable. Paul telling Timothy says the four things that God's word does. It teaches us. Jesus said in John 8, 31, 32, again in this abide discussion that he has in the gospel of John. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Our hearts long for freedom. And I love the fact that we live in democracy, we've been voting and all that, and we have the freedom to do that. 
But we know with even those freedoms, as precious as they are, as important as they are, that there's another kind of freedom. That we can live in a free society, kind of do whatever we want, but still be bound up on the inside. And Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth. And then the truth, because you're abiding in it, you're living in it, you're referencing it, that will set you free. I love a phrase that Paul uses in Colossians. And I'm going to read two verses to just highlight the context of this phrase. Colossians 3, verse 15 and 16. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. And always be thankful. Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Just catch that. God wants peace in your heart, but he also wants your life filled with his word, with his principles. Let the message of Christ in all its richness fill your lives. So the first thing that God's word does is teach us. It fills us, becomes foundational, becomes guardrails in our lives. Secondly, it corrects us. In fact, one translation accurately says, rebukes us or reproves us. And right there are some of you going, don't tell me what to do. I don't want to listen to your opinion. And at the moment, we're scared to say certain things. I'm talking about generally in society, lest we offend somebody. Well, there's a sense in which the word of God should offend us. It should challenge us. It should ask questions of us, of our lifestyle, of what we're doing, of our priorities. The word of God should offend us in that sense. Proverbs 6 verse 23 says, For this command, and he's referring to God's word, is a lamp. This teaching is a light. And correction and instruction are the way to life. And I love that picture. And obviously the concept of holding an oil lantern, lighting your way on a dark night or in a dark house, it lights up where it shows you where to walk, what's in front of you. But what he also says it does is it corrects you. And correction is the way of life. Correction is necessary to growth. Without confrontation, life tends to just go on. And... It gets directed by prejudices, it's directed by assumptions, it kind of winds down. And the word of God should, as it were, every so often, rebuke us, slap us around the head. Not literally, don't hit anybody with your Bible. Whether you're sitting at home watching this or sitting here in the auditorium, don't Bible bash. I'm talking about the word challenging, rebuking, confronting, making us think twice about our thoughts, our attitudes, our decisions, our behaviours. Manufacturers put warning labels on things to warn us how to use and not use them. Some of them are hilarious. But maybe there should be a warning label put on the Bible. This may offend you, but in that sense, it should challenge my heart. Proverbs 12 and verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge but whoever hates correction is 
stupid. Now, don't get offended at what I just said. It's God's word. It says if you don't like being corrected, now none of us love it, but if you don't like being challenged and confronted by the authority of God's word, then there's something wrong in your thinking. It should be, thank you, God, for showing me this. And yeah, you may wrestle to obey it. You may have to work through it. You may come with arguments as you rest in Christ and abide in his love, but you work your way through it. The word of God abides in you and begins to transform you. So God's word teaches us, it corrects us, it instructs us. I love something A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite authors, I've got a few, but he says the Holy Scriptures tell us that we could never learn any other way. They tell, sorry, the Holy Scriptures tell us what we could never learn any other way. They tell us who we are, how we got here, why we are here, and what we're required to do while we remain here. You won't find answers for life, for living, for purpose, for destiny outside of the Word of God. You'll find them in the Word. God will speak to you about your life, your purpose, your destiny, your gifts, your talents, your opportunities. It instructs us, the Bible says, in righteousness. And many go, oh, righteousness. But righteousness is a relationship word. Righteousness in the New Testament is saying we are right with God and we're seeking to live in such a way that we are right with each other. It's a relationship word. And Jesus said, I've got to go, but I'm going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. And he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. I want you to catch that. You've got to give the Holy Spirit something to work on. And it's a growing thing. Some of us have spent decades in God's Word. You may be a new Christian. You may be searching and you're trying to find things out. We're not expecting, and God's not expecting you to know everything. None of us know everything. But as you begin to delve into God's Word, God will begin to speak to you. God will begin to shape you. God will begin to challenge you. God will begin to direct you and inspire you. And you're giving material to the Holy Spirit to teach you and reveal things. And you'll get revelation and awakening on the inside. I go, I got it. I know what I need to do now. That whole wonderful relationship between the Word of God and the Spirit of God. And finally, the Bible equips us. It equips us for life. Theodore Roosevelt said this. A thorough knowledge of the Bible is worth more than a college education. Now, he wasn't putting down education. He was actually a highly educated man. But as President of the United States, back in the day, he said, what you will learn from the Bible about life, about living, about people, about creation, about God, is more valuable than all the degrees you can get. And so I encourage you, join us in our Bible reading every single week. And you don't have to stick to that. You can do that. You can do more. You don't even have to do that. Do something else. But that habit of daily coming to God's Word. And it's not just a routine of reading the Bible and then ticking the box and say, I've done that. It's saying, God, as I read, would you speak to me about my life? Holy Spirit, would you quicken things to me? And some days will seem plain and ordinary, and other days will be a feast. But every day, you'll be fed. 
You can't remember every meal you've ever eaten in your life. But because you ate them, you're here. They sustained you. And some meals were spectacular and memorable. And it's the same with that daily devotion, a commitment to reading God's word. Abiding in Christ's word fills our minds, directs our wills, and transforms our affections, what we love, and we end up loving him and the things of God and his purpose and destiny more than the things of the world. Paul prays an incredible prayer. And I want to pray this over us as I draw this to a close. And I'm praying this for those who are here in the auditorium. I'm praying it for those who are watching online. And it's Colossians 1 verse 9 through 10. And so, from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you. Here's the prayer. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. The prayer goes longer than that. But I need to just pause it there. Filled with the knowledge of his will. But it's with spiritual wisdom and understanding. Cleverness may help you show off in front of others, but it won't advance you in the kingdom of God. Now, God wants to use your brain. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But you want to understand and be filled with the knowledge of his will. You need spiritual wisdom and understanding. You need the authority of God's word, the quickening of his Holy Spirit to make his plans, his purposes alive to you. His will is found in his word. You see, when you get a hold of the Word of God and you're looking for Jesus on every page, you're looking for God to speak to you, you're inviting the Holy Spirit to make it alive and bring revelation, you will begin to discover the will of God for your life, the reason you are here, the way God has designed you, that the way He's redeemed you through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the eternal Word made manifest in the flesh, who laid down his life. The word that created us is also the living word that redeemed us on Calvary's cross. The word that created us is the word that saves us, redeems us, and brings forgiveness and grace and mercy to our lives. And so here in the auditorium, watching online, I want to ask you, are you right with God? And I ask you to just take a moment just to invite the Holy Spirit and say, Holy Spirit, would you just confirm one way or another, am I right with God? Because he testifies that we are the children of God. And if you're not right with God, he's not going to yell at you. He will bring it to your surface and say, I need to do something today in this moment to get right with God.